And Jesus said, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Lord's Prayer is a familiar passage to all of us probably, right? And yet Jesus gives us a really profound and valuable message here. And so I hope that this morning, maybe some of the things we talk about will be new. And if they are, super. If not, maybe it will be a chance just to be refreshed on what Jesus has to say about how to pray. Jesus makes it pretty clear from what he says here in Matthew chapter 6 that there were some practices that had become common in the way that they prayed at that time that everyone sort of thought was really the way to do it. It was the respected way. It was the honorable way. It was the commendable way. And yet Jesus needs to correct it. He needs them to see that that is not what God is looking for when it comes to prayer. And so this morning, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 6 about how to pray. So, if you, don't, if you haven't already turned there, turn with me there to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. And what we see in these first few verses is two things. We're going to kind of frame it this way, what doesn't matter and what matters. So let's read back through verses 5 through 8 real quick, and then let's talk about what doesn't matter to God and what does matter. So he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Sort of implying by the word hypocrite that what they're doing on the outside is not really reflective of what's in their heart. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So the impression that they have given to others, the respect and honor of others is their reward. They've gotten what they have They've gotten their reward in that sense. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. All right, so two things when it comes to what doesn't matter to God in these verses as it relates to prayer. And here's the first one, impressing others, impressing others. It doesn't matter. That's what Jesus says right here, that these people, these hypocrites are standing up in public spaces, on the streets, maybe also in the synagogues, in these public places, and they're praying and they're impressing the people around them. They're causing the people around them to say, man, that is someone who really loves God. That is someone who really knows God. 
And Jesus is saying, listen, that to God is not important. And Jesus says right after that, listen, it's much better if you just go privately into your room, into a prayer closet, and pray there because God will hear that. Now, this is not Jesus saying there's not a place for public prayer. Like, there is a place for us to pray together, pray corporately, pray in public. He's simply saying that if your thing in praying in public is about getting people to respect you, impressing others, then you need to step out of that and you need to go do it privately. Because God's not impressed. It doesn't mean anything to God if everyone else is wowed by your prayer on the outside, but it's not reflective of who you are on the inside and what your real desire is. So, impressing others. Next, if you look in verses 7 through 8, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. I wrote two things, long prayers and big words. Long prayers and big words. Jesus is saying, doesn't matter. Long prayers are not any more powerful to God than short prayers. And big words, big theological terms aren't significant to God. They're just empty phrases from these hypocrites. And so Jesus is challenging what had become common and accepted as good in prayer in that time. And he says, listen, God doesn't care about any of these things. You know, I'll be honest with you, as someone who spent his life in ministry, preaching and leading and doing those things and praying in public and praying in the church for years and years and years and years, I struggle greatly, if I'm being really honest, with how much of what we do in church looks like that. And how much of what I do in church looks like that so that I'm teaching people to pray that way. Because what we're going to see is what matters to God is something radically different than that picture. You know how I know that we think this way? I'm going to give you an example. If I were to ask any one of you right now, hey, next Sunday, will you get up and pray in church? You know what probably would be the first thought that would go through your head? Other than just flat out no. By the way, kind of as a a side point, I remember reading recently that, and this isn't even rational, but it's just that more people are scared of public speaking than of dying. That doesn't make any sense, but dying is definitely worse than public speaking. But it just shows that people, well, maybe not to some people, I guess, uh, that people, there are a lot of people who are terrified of being up in public, right? So I get that some of you, the thought of having to like speak or do something like pray is a terrifying thought to you. But Here's what I've heard people say over and over and over to me, and I'm guessing would go through your mind if I were to ask you to do that. I wouldn't know what to say. I'd say the wrong thing. That's shaped by that kind of thinking, that there is a right and a wrong thing to say. There are right words when we pray to use and wrong words to use. That we got to sound like we know how to do this in church. And so as I deal with this in my own heart, 
I deal with this as someone who's been in ministry. I think to myself, how often have we discipled people into thinking about prayer, prayer the way that the people in the first century would have and not the way that Jesus would have done that? Um, you guys ever been there? Even in your own private prayer, even your own time alone where you're praying and then you get distracted and then you're like, oh yeah, and you come back and what do you end up doing? Probably just end up repeating all the same things again. And then you get distracted and then, and you feel like in a way like, or, or you've been praying and it lasts like 45 seconds and you feel like, I don't know that that's good enough. So you do what? So you repeat it again. As if it's some mantra, if you repeat it enough times, God will hear it more. It'll be more powerful because it's longer. Like we do that, don't we? We think the way Jesus tells us that people thought back in that day. And then you think about big words. Let me ask you this question. It's kind of a trivial example, but I use it anyways. How many of you can remember a time in your life where you have used the word nourish in a conversation? Nourish. Anyone use that one? Anyone. But man, we learn from a young age when we pray over our food. What do we say? Nourish this food to our bodies. When do we use that word ever other than then? I think about that word all the time. I grit my teeth every time I hear it now anymore. But I remember the first time I heard my son when he was just young pray and say, nourish this food to our bodies. And I remember thinking, oh, no. He picked it up already. Now, is that a big deal? No, not a super huge big deal. But it is an example to me, one, of the fact that we disciple and teach in what we do in practice, and those who are coming behind us are picking it up. And number two, like, we use these words at times in prayer, and why? That word isn't that big a deal. But I think on another level, coming in and praying and using a bunch of theological and biblical languages and using this high, eloquent speech, it strikes many of us as that's the way to pray. That's the way to pray good. And I can't do that because I can't pray like that. You think the way that the people thought in Jesus' day, and that thought needs to be corrected because God doesn't care about whether or not everyone else in this room is impressed by the eloquence of your speech and your prayer. They're not impressed because it's long. Let's be honest. Who wants a long prayer, right? We're probably more, we're probably more excited about a short prayer. But <laughs> long, drawn-out prayers, as if we have a lot to say and we just have a lot to a lot to get out as if somehow that's more noble and valued to God than a short prayer or big words versus just common words. Jesus says these things don't matter. What does matter then? Well, he tells us in this passage, what does matter? What matters is number one, that we please God. What matters is that we please God. This is why it is acceptable to pray privately where no one else hears us. 
And it says that God will hear that prayer and we will honor that prayer. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. What matters in prayer is that you please God. What matters in prayer is that you are talking to him. Second, it matters that your prayers are honest and sincere. That's what God is looking for. He's not looking for us to heap up long, eloquent prayers. He's not looking for us to use the right kinds of words. He's looking for us to pray prayers that are honest and sincere. I remember for some years I, was, uh, I led a Bible study for a sober living ministry. And everyone that was in that ministry for about the first six months, they could stay longer if they wanted to, but for the first six months would all have to come through, and I would meet with them once a week, and we would sort of walk through the Gospels. And so we were getting people who weren't Christians, and we were certainly getting new Christians, and we were getting some who were longer-time Christians. And, 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 but I remember on this one particular night, we had this one guy who was a new Christian, had just been saved a few weeks before that. And during a time of prayer, he just started to pray. And he began to pray, uh, talk about cussing, and he began to talk about anger, and he began to talk about naked women, and he began to talk about abuse, and he began to talk about not wanting to forgive people, and he started naming them by name. And he started talking about these things that he had struggled with, and he started talking about how he had, been, he had tried all these other things in his life, and none of them had brought what he thought we really need to find in life and what he was looking for. And, and he said, God, I, I'm coming to you now looking for what I've never been able to find, and I hope that you'll help me. And it wasn't a super long prayer, but I remember as he prayed in that room, I remember it was very real to me that God came and met us in that room. And I think we could all sense it and feel it. That God heard that prayer and he came down and he met us in that room in the midst of that prayer. It was rough and it was really raw, but it was real. It was sincere. It may have been as sincere a prayer as I've ever heard anyone pray. And I think God heard it and loved that prayer. And he came and he met us in that room that night. And I remember telling him afterwards, I said, listen, man, as you get involved in church, you're not going to hear people pray prayers like that. I said, but please, please, don't let the church take that away from you. Listen, I think that God is more glorified and his body is more built up by someone coming up, even, even here, if, if it happened in our service or in our ABFs or in our small group meetings or whatever, some, I, I think God is more pleased and glorified and I think his body is more encouraged and built up by someone just coming up and stumbling through without the kind of biblical, theological words that we're used to hearing in prayer and just stumbling through an honest, sincere prayer and someone who gets up and just throws out something nice and polished and clean. Kind of like a lot of what we're used to. A lot of what I find myself praying, struggling with the fact that we get caught in that and it's so easy. I try to break myself of it. It's hard. 
it's hard to break myself of some of the things that I've learned and picked up. And as I've sought the Lord and, and as a desire to God to pray the way Jesus tells us to pray here and to be the kind of example of praying the way Jesus says here and not the example of the other. So we see here Jesus gives us this picture of what matters and what doesn't matter. And so what we have in this next prayer, and we're going we're gonna to move through this really fast, all right, um, is the Lord's Prayer. And he gives us this simple prayer with some things that I think we can latch on to and learn to pray as it relates to the Lord's Prayer. Now, to understand the Lord's Prayer, though, you have to understand something called a chiastic structure. A chiastic structure, structure or a chiasm is something we see all the way through the Bible, a lot in the Old Testament, but some in the New Testament. And you'll see it in individual verses. You'll see it in overall, like, passages, And so an example of that is in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis with the story of Noah. And so what a a chiastic structure is is where points sort of point to a middle point. And each sort of parallel corresponding point sort of fits together. It kind of aligns. So, for instance, the story of Noah is a story that starts with violence in creation. Things are chaotic. Then we see a picture of God's resolve to destroy. Then we have God commanding them to enter the ark. Then we have the beginning of the flood. Then we have the rising of the flood. And then then right there in the middle, we have God remembers Noah. Now, the main point of a chiastic structure is that middle point. Now, if if it's an even number, it's generally the outside two points. But with an odd number of points, it's definitely in the middle. So for Moses, as he's telling this story, as he's crafting this story about Noah, the main thing he wants to get across is how God remembers Noah. That's right there in the middle. Well, then it backs off of that. We see where we saw the rising flood, we see the receding flood. Where we saw the beginning of the flood, we saw the ending of the flood. Where we saw the entering the ark, we see leaving the ark. Where we saw God's resolve to destroy, now we see God's resolve to preserve order. And where we saw chaos in creation, we see God's resolve resolve to covenant with man to bring order. So that's a chiastic structure. Let me show you one more quick example from the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. No one who is born of God commits sin, for his seed abides in him, and he is not able to commit sin because he is born of God. You see how those different points sort of parallel each other? Well, to understand the Lord's Prayer, you kind of have to understand chiastic structure. So the chiastic structure of the Lord's Prayer is seven points. Your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done, and at the center is this command, give us this day our daily bread. Then it backs off of that into forgive us, lead us away from temptation, and protect us from the evil one. So that would be the sort of corresponding chiastic structure to the Lord's Prayer, which means that According to this, the main point would be give us this day our daily bread. That would be the main emphasis of that prayer from Jesus. Doesn't mean we can't learn from these other things, but that would be the main point of emphasis. That gets a little bit interesting in that the fact that Jesus, right after the prayer, what does he talk about? Forgiveness, which doesn't seem to correspond. Now, if you go to the book of Luke, chapter 10, we have the Lord's Prayer, and he spends a lot of time in commentary after that about what? About give us this day our daily bread. It's one of those challenging things. I have played with the chiasm in the original language and all of that kind of stuff, and I've read what other scholars said. I cannot figure out any way to make it work where forgive us our debts would actually work as the centerpiece of this prayer. I'm not sure. But I know that Jesus seems to focus on that at the end of this prayer. Nevertheless, we have these seven requests. And so you can see, like, whereas the top one focuses on the person of God, what does the bottom one focus on? The person of the enemy. Hallowed be your name, protect us from the evil one. Your kingdom comes 
as we walk away from temptation into righteousness. The coming of God's kingdom, walking away from temptation to righteousness. Your will be done, the will of God being done as we do what? As we forgive. And then right at the center is this, give us this day our daily bread. Now, we could pre- I could preach a whole sermon on all five of these things, or all seven of these things. We don't have that kind of time. We don't have anywhere close to that kind of time. But I want to give you five quick, simple prayers from the Lord's Prayer that we can learn to pray. And the first is this, show me. Now, the idea of God being hallowed is the idea of God being sort of set apart and holy. And so as he says, like, be set apart, be holy in my life, it is, it's, it's akin to the idea of the first commandment, which is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Um, that God is first in our life, that he is set apart in our life. But I think, I think tied to that is this idea of knowing God and him being revealed to us. And so show me, God, who you are. That's important. In the words of A.W. Tozer, many of you may be familiar with his book, The Attributes of God, he said, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So we need to know God. Second, not just show me, but use me. Use me, God. Take, Take what I have and use it. Third, give me what I need. We could talk a lot about what it is to live in this sense of daily. I grew up overseas, and a lot of the people we were around at times, they lived without even simple things like refrigerators. Think about how something like a refrigerator changes the way we live, you know? I remember people who don't have refrigerators, they just have to go to the market and get what they needed that day. They didn't have Sam's Club kinds of stores of stuff sitting in their house. Like, we've got provision there for two weeks, and we're good. I think there's something to be taken from this idea of give us what I need for today. Much like Pastor Bill as he was preaching through on Elijah, right? Elijah's widow. Just enough flour and just enough oil for today. We'd like more than that, wouldn't we? It makes us feel a little more safe. Makes us feel a little more comfortable. Makes us feel a little more secure. But Jesus says, pray that God would give you just what you need for today. Fourth, forgive me. You know, the Bible tells us that through Christ, our sins are forgiven, but we also see the command over and over and over and over and over in the New Testament that forgiveness is something that continues to be practiced and experienced. Again, we could talk so much about what the New Testament has to say about this, but forgive me. Being forgiven is an ongoing part of our Christian life. And then finally, protect me. Protect me from temptation and protect me from the enemy. How often do we pray protection? Not just, from, not just for safe travels. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But how often do we pray for spiritual protection in our lives? You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gives us this amazing picture of salvation. Amazing picture of salvation. God's redemptive plan from eternity past. And how he's going to bring together the world and this, uh, in Christ, in unity, together, this new way and this new life. And it's amazing. And then all of a sudden at, at the end in chapter 6, says, oh, but by the way, someone's going to try to stop that from happening. It's one thing to try to hit a shot with no one guarding you. It's a whole other thing to try to hit it when someone's guarding you, right? Same is true in our lives. One thing to try to be a Christian is a whole other thing to be to try to, Christ, try to be a Christian when someone's trying to stop you from it. So Jesus says, pray for protection. Simple prayers. I believe that if we will learn just to pray simple prayers, you don't have to repeat it a bunch. Say it once. Just say it sincerely. 
pray it honestly. I believe it will have power and it will impact your life. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would teach us how to pray. God, I pray that we would pray the way that you call us to. Pray that we would hear Jesus' words this morning in this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to step into a time of invitation here for just a few moments. Um, If you're here this morning and, man, God's at work in your life and you recognize your need for Christ, maybe God's been at work and maybe it's just time for you to make a decision public. You certainly have the opportunity to do that. We would love for you to do that. Maybe you have questions about the gospel, about other things. We would certainly value um, and celebrate the opportunity to have you come forward and just speak with one of our ministers who could help maybe answer some of those questions for you. You can find them after the service too, but if you want to do that during this time, you're welcome to. But I would encourage you as well during this time of response that even if that's not you, even if there's not a decision for salvation to be made, that you would just take a moment and just do business with God. And maybe that looks like you just praying one of these five prayers sincerely. You recognize a need for that prayer in your life. You recognize a deficiency in your life spiritually. And one of those hit true this morning. I would encourage you just to pray that as we sing. So I'm going to ask our staff and others to come forward and just be available. And I'm going to ask Alex to lead us in a song here briefly. And I'm going to encourage the rest of you, if you would go ahead and stand. But in an attitude and spirit of prayer to take advantage of these moments just to pray. And to do some business with God this morning.